welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me all over the wilds of the Infinite as Walsfio. Today I'm here once again with... Chris Bell. And we're going to be doing some more reviews. Uh, we've got a bunch of games that we've been playing here in the library, and we thought we'd let you know how they worked out for us, and if they're the kinds of games you might be interested for your library. We're going to start with one by North Star Games called Quacks of Quedlingburg. We frequently call it Quacks of Quackenburg or just Quacks. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do have to let you all know that it was donated by, to me personally, by North Star Games and one of our co-hosts over at Onboard Games and works for them. So disclosures made. Chris, tell us a little bit about Quacks of Quedlingburg. Um, it's a game. It's kind of an engine building game. Um with a blind draw. You are drawing ingredients from a bag, um, and those control how far on long a track in your potion pot that you move forward. Um, the further you go, the better points you get, the more you can purchase for the next round, and the more victory points you get. Um, so then you can buy more ingredients. Uh, there are bad ingredients, however, and if you pull out a certain number of those, you, uh, you bust. Right. It is a push-your-luck sack-building game where uh, you're pulling elements out, like Chris said, and if you get too many of the poison tokens, I don't know if they're actually poison, we call them poison, uh, then then you've gone bust and you get to either get points or cash to purchase yeah. new ingredients for your sack of stuff. And it's a fast-playing game because mm -hmm. everybody is getting to pull out their bits at the same time. Uh, you only have to worry about turn order when it is purchasing new ingredients. Right. And if somebody like, ooh, I need to know whether or not I'm stopping, then I would, um, then it's an issue, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think what you can do is have folks have a token that says, I'm still pulling, I am done pulling, that they can flip over and then everyone can see and, and make those decisions. And that way you sort of get that tension that is, hey, ooh, is he done pulling? I don't know if he's done pulling or not. He hasn't said and sort of see how the game plays out there. Yeah. Though, uh, for the most part, you generally aren't ever at a point where you're trying to watch someone else to see if they're done pulling. Not um, if you want to lose. <laughs> <laughs> did you win? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh. <laughs> uh, not the first game. The first game I wasn't paying attention, and I thought I was winning because the, the scoreboard said it was so until we did final scoring, and then I was no longer winning. Yes. Uh, so some other neat things about Quacks is uh, you start with a set where each one of the different colored tokens that you've thrown into your bag and they're going to advance you a little bit, a little bit more or a lot. Each one of them has their own special powers and they're not always the same power. So if you yeah. flip over the books, which are the recipes or the ingredient lists, it's like, oh, orange in this game will do that. Orange in the next game will do something else. And so each of the different colored tokens is going to do something else entirely. Yeah. It's the got... Yeah, I was gonna say the game comes with four sets uh, or pre-made recommended sets, uh, books one through four, and then it tells you you can just mix and match them as you like. And there are a few that don't change that are pretty pretty standard through yes. the course of the game. Uh, so yes, that is it. Uh, I like it. It's fast playing. It's exciting because you sort of have that tension: of, do I pull? Do I don't pull? You know, after you've got so much poison already in your pot. Uh, but if you blow, blow out, if you fail, you aren't completely lost. You didn't lose everything from your turn. You can still say, ooh, I'm getting more cash 
versus I'm getting more points. And early game, a lot of people just ignore the whole push your luck and say, I'm going until I'm busted because I need more tokens to go in my bag. Yep. There's also ways that you will start further down the track. Um, you have rubies, which lets you do trade in and do some special point stuff with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all, there's a lot to the game, but it's not terribly complex. For your teens, it would be pretty darn popular. Yes, our teen here enjoyed it. Um, tweens, it may be a little much. If you've got someone watching the game and helping, you can probably get away with tweens as well, no problem. Yep. But if you're if everybody's playing or there's not someone to sort of run the game, then I'd stay teens and up. All right, let's talk about good critters. Uh, the uh, charismatic game of uh... messing around. Yes. Yeah. So basically, it's. It's like um, Reservoir Dogs, except for you're all playing different animals. Mm-hmm. And someone is dividing up treasure, and everybody else is saying, yes, we agree with this division, or no, we are not going to stand for this, and we are going to maybe rob from you, or we're going to uh, you know, overthrow you as the boss. Yep. Because we, we all think that this, this division of treasure is horrible. Yes. The boss divides out the loot, and they can divide it as great or as horribly as they like. Doesn't matter. They just need to get um, a majority vote. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the trick is the other players on their turn can either vote or take an action like stealing from other players. If they do that action, they're not voting. Right. So it's it can be great. It's It's like, oh... Everybody says, if you're going to vote for him, I'm going to rob you. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, may make it go through. <laughs> right. And so it's it's interesting that, uh, and you can also defend yourself. So if you think you're being robbed, mm-hmm. you can throw up, a, I'm defending, and then anyone robbing you doesn't get to rob you. So um, if you've played Cash and Guns, it is a slightly modified version of Cash and Guns without actually holding guns on people. So it's a little more library friendly. If you're looking for Cash and Guns for your library that doesn't involve pointing guns at folks like you might want to have for a school (laughs) or a library, then Good Critters is definitely the way to go. I like it. It's a fairly small form factor as well because it's all cards. Uh, The art's good enough. The, uh, The flow is pretty interesting. And so I'm going to say Good good Critters is a green light for me. Um, uh, same so, here. So was good Quacks. Game. So was Quacks. But um, I recommend it. And it was also donated to us. Actually, it was donated to me. But since I already have cash and guns and I can't bring it to the library, I've donated it to the library. Because I'll still get to play it. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's talk Kodama. All right. The Tree Spirit game. Um where you're building a tree for your spirits. Right. Basically, you're drafting cards that you're going to be playing by... Well, it's, it's not really card drafting. There's a pool which you are picking a card. And then you'll be playing cards to put um, down and around your tree. Each person has a, a private victory condition. Mm-hmm. And then there are public victory conditions. Yes. For each round of the game. Yes, and uh, the cards you play out, um, you line them up with the branches so you make your tree bigger. Um, and you might be trying to fit them in the confines of certain restrictions. Um, you get a bunch of victory points if your tree has only got three branches, or you might get it if your tree doesn't branch out a lot and has a lot of little branches. Uh, but you also get victory points for branches that have matching elements to them, like maybe you can trace 
um, fungi branches all the way back to your trunk or things like that. Yeah. And so you can sort of begin to tell what people have based on what they try to draft. Mm-hmm. It does suffer a little bit from the, well, my cards didn't come up. I'm going to be trounced. Yep. Or versus the, oh, I made a poor decision with my first three cards. Now I have lost. Mm-hmm. But by and large, um, it's a super light game with some what feels like interesting and meaningful decisions that uh, younger people will be able to play. And the art is adorable. It is. And so, yeah, that's Kadama. Uh, that's from Indie Boards and Cards. And, uh, yep, that was a review copy they sent me. So, hooray, Kodama. I like it. There's an expansion out or coming out for it, which is why they sent me the base game, I guess. Uh, but I, I had a lot of fun with it uh, for a lighter game. If yes. you're looking for something deep, it's not there. But if you're looking for a good filler or something to play with children who like the pretty pictures, then, uh, then it's neat. Um, extra little bonus if you have kids. Um, we played the full version of the game. In the game, you can replace all the uh, tree spirits with um, light tree spirits, which are like the kid versions, uh, which is specifically geared towards kids. They're simpler objectives that are harder to fail. Nice. You know, I knew that, but I'd completely forgotten about it. I remembered looking at them. Good, good catch. Oh, I guess uh, now it's time to escape. We're going to talk about Unlock Expedition Challenger, which is one of the Unlock series of escape room, card, board game, tabletop experiences. Yes, it's part of their Exotic Adventures pack. And in this one, you are basically going to the Hollow Earth, uh, trying to rescue the group of people who were... Uh, apparently mostly eaten by dinosaurs. Maybe. Maybe. Unless you rescue them. But in our case, at least one of them was dead. Yes. So, anyway, the Unlock Expedition Challenger is a neat little escape room. It was very loud and noisy and much distractions were occurring. And so, when we finished it, I hated it. I was abs- I was just angry at the game. I was angry at the room. We chose the wrong time to play it. We did. Thinking back on it, some of the puzzles make a little bit more sense, I think, than they did to us at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I could play it again without having known all the answers already, I would do it. I I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's a perfect one of the, their escape rooms. I don't think it's the top tier of theirs. It's not as good as their Alice I think it's about mid-tier for Unlock, which is still fairly good. Um, to elaborate on what Donald said... Uh, there are many sound puzzles in this ones and puzzles that require you to make sounds on a device. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that is very bad to do in a noisy room uh, because it becomes very difficult for everyone to know what the puzzle is trying to tell you. Right. It was the teen room after school and there was one where we had to be silent because the microphone was picking up our noises, yeah. which is probably a little spoilery, but... Oh, okay. So this does require an app and it does a lot of neat stuff with apps. So uh, there's different ways that you interact with either the cell phone or your tablet. And it needs to be a functioning version of your tablet. It can't be, you know, oh, this one's broken here. It, it all has you to You need a working. microphone. You need a speaker. Yep. Um, you need the ability for people to be able to hear it. It also dealt with uh, a map puzzle where you're tapping around and it's revealing things to you. Uh, one of the things I felt was pretty horrible was you used items in a specific way. And then later you felt like that item would be perfect here. 
And unfortunately, when you use it, it disappears. So I have no idea if there was a way, and I don't think there is, where you could instead have combined them elsewhere and made it work. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of the puzzles were a little weird, uh, which is why I don't think it's a high tier one. There's a couple of solutions where you think this is the most logical solution, but apparently it makes no sense. Uh, and it doesn't give you like a story reason why or a thematic reason why. It just goes, nope, you're wrong. Yeah, I'm starting uh, to not like it again. The more we talk about it. it, it so the puzzles are all right. Um, again, I think it's a B-tier unlock. Um, not their best work. Right. Um, but it does some neat stuff. If you're looking to see does sort stuff. of what they're thinking and you like playing with the elements of escape rooms, it's well worth that. Um, and do realize this is coming from a place where we got a near perfect score. Four out of five stars. So it's not that we failed it. It's just the puzzles were kind of weird. We are we are at 80%. We got a solid C. <laughs> yes. All right. So, um, okay, let's move on. Let's roll on to the next one. Roll for the Galaxy. Woohoo! So, hey. Roll for the Galaxy is one of the ones we got for our space grant um, because it does spacey things, it deals with the themes, and it also has technology in it. So, mm-hmm. I think it works perfectly well with our Moonrise grant. Um, I will point out, Roll for the Galaxy, I believe, is an upgraded version of Race for the Galaxy. Well, it's the dice version of Race for the Galaxy. It's very similar, but they have tweaked it to work very well with dice. It's it's beautiful, beautiful game. We also have the expansion, which we didn't play. And in Roll for the Galaxy, you are taking your dice, you're rolling them, and you get different colors of dice for different sorts of things. So if I get this kind of planet... I might get military, or if I get that kind of planet that produces luxury goods, I might get purple dice or what have you. And um, I've paid to put them into my cup so that I can use the dice. I roll the dice behind my screen. I assign the dice to the actions. All right. But what I can do is one of the dice I have to put on the, this action is actually going to occur. So it might be, oh, we're definitely taking the settlement action. And Chris might say, well, we're definitely exploring. And Link might say, oh, I'm delivering goods. Well, mm-hmm. the, that means we're not producing game goods. Uh, we're not developing new technology. We're not exploring. And, uh, you know, so forth. So uh, these things, we may have dice in those things. We may have assigned our dice to those because that's the faces that they rolled. But if nobody else said that that's what's happening, it's not happening. Right. We lose those dice. And there were a couple of rounds where everybody said, we're exploring this turn. So that's all that happened. That's all that happened. So, uh, And it's neat. I, I really like the way it works. I think it's a fun, fun game. Uh, and and I, would, I would recommend it. And they've got some neat technologies that, that you can do. And you've got some, you know, the planets are mostly boring, but some of them are really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they help you develop your technology, or not your technology, but your strategy as you go on. Yes. So the game is a uh, engine building kind of game. Um, as you take your actions, you get different tiles that do engines. The game itself, um, all the mechanics are kind of light. However, your engines can get kind of heavy and complicated. You really got to work to remember what you can do, when you can do it. Um, there were many times where we forgot to... I feel like I'm being called out here. I made the same mistakes. <laughs> many times we forgot to do parts of our actions just because... There are so many moving parts. It's like I created a technology on my first turn, and I completely didn't take my extra money every turn yes. that I should have had thereafter, and uh, so I lost the game hard. 
There were a couple times I forgot to do my free rerolls. I forgot to do my free reassignments, my extra dice. And yeah. it, there's a lot to keep track of, um, especially when you're also trying to compare yourself to the other people's um, apparent score. Uh, there's some in-game scoring that changes it, but a lot to a lot to watch on the board. Right. It's complex. It is not a game for younger kids. It has lots of small dice parts that could disappear. Oh, yes. I would actually, if, if it's a game that you're, if you've got a, a good sturdy game collection, then it's a great one to add add to your thing. I would say that's fine. Absolutely. But if you're starting to build a game collection, Roll for the Galaxy is not one I would suggest. And it's not one that I would add to just any given game collection. If we didn't have the grant for space-themed activities and games, it would not be one I would have picked. And I like playing it. Yeah. I really do. And I don't actually like the game that it's based off of, Race for the Galaxy, because um, every time I played it, I ended up just hating everybody involved. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost both games here this weekend, and I still had fun. Yeah, it's entertaining game. Um, you know, uh, throwing dice is always fun. Yeah, despite the fact everybody thought I was going to win, win, win. It was <laughs> hilarious that they're like, Don's going to win. He wins everything. And then midway through the game, oh, be careful. He's got all those military dice. He's going to lose. He's going to lose hard. <laughs> <laughs> Strategies didn't pan out. Nothing nothing panned out. Uh, and one of mine should have. I should have I done much better. But I'm still not sure the kids we were playing with did math correctly. I wouldn't have won anyway. But. Um, yeah, no. Two of the kids we were playing with um, had to count twice, kept coming up with different numbers. That was exciting. Um, yeah. So this is mid-upper teens at least. Um, it is a meaty game. Yeah. Well, a meaty system yeah. engine. It's good. I like it. Anyway, so let's roll for the galaxy. Let's go from something rich to something light and moderately <laughs> disgusting. Cockroach poker. Cockroach poker. You may have heard Stephanie and I talk about this on previous episodes. If not, and you listen to Onboard Games, I'm sure you've heard me talk about cockroach <laughs> poker. Also, I think it was in German. It's called Kakerlachen poker or something. I can't pronounce, and I apologize if I just said something bad in a foreign language. <laughs> I barely speak English. I certainly don't speak anybody else's language. Yes. All right. Uh, so in Cockroach Poker, it is 100% pure bluffing game. It is. And my deck has been worn out practically here in the room because <laughs> the kids will play it with great frequency. Here's how it plays. Everybody has a deck of cards. They're trying to not run out of cards in their deck. You are not trying to win. You are trying to make someone else lose. Mm -hmm. So on your turn, you will pick up, or if, if you're the person, if you're the giver, you pick up the top card, you look at it. Say you see a picture of a scorpion. You, can, you then have to pass it to one of the other players, and you say, hey, it's a scorpion. Or you can say, it's a frog, or it's a spider, or... It's a stink bug, whatever any of the eight different kinds of creatures there are. And then the person you pass it to, well, if they're going to keep that card, they go, I agree. It is what you said it is. Or you're a big old lying liar. And then they flip it over. If they were correct, you have to put that card in front of you. If they were wrong, the card goes face up in front of them instead of face up in front of you. Now, instead of that, they can say, oh, you know, I'm going to pass this on to somebody else. And then, so I passed it to Chris. Chris, what do you do? Um, so I get to look at it at that point. Um, I see whatever card it is. 
I think about what card is in front of me. Maybe it's a rat. And I think about what Donald said, scorpion. Hmm. And I make a decision at that point. I set it face down, slide it to the next person, and I say, it's a rat. Or it's a frog. Or, or it's, it's a scorpion. A you know, I say whatever I want. Now this next person, knowing what Donald said, knowing what I said, suddenly has the same decision. Do they, do they think Chris is telling the truth? Do they think he's a liar? Do they not want to make that decision and pass it on to somebody else? Yes. Uh, once it gets to the last person, um, you can never pass it back to someone who's seen the card. Um, that person is forced to make a decision. It was amazing how few times people made a decision when they didn't have to. It could have been called passing the buck the game. <laughs> yes. um, the neat little mechanic of passing is once you decide to pass, you are taking responsibility for the lie. Right. Or the bluff. So once Chris has decided to pass it on and he says it's a rat to somebody else, if that person calls him out, say, you're telling the truth and he's telling the truth, it goes face up in front of Chris. If he says you're telling the truth and he, Chris was lying, it goes mm-hmm. face up in front of the person who was wrong. Now, there are a couple of ways you can lose in this game. Once is, is if, you, if you're the person who, I don't know, whether we always played it as the person who did the calling out is the one who's starting. But I think it's the person who gets the card in front of you is the one who's supposed to start the next round. All right. Mm-hmm. You run out of cards. No, that's how we did it. Whoever had the card in front of them starts the next round. Um, the, if you run out of cards because you have been wrong so many times, mm-hmm. you're out. If you end up with four of any particular type in front of you, then you're out. Yes. I added another rule, which is if you end up with one of each of the eight creatures in front of you, then you're out. Because I think that adds another layer of stress and delightfulness. (laughs) Because that's what Donald enjoys, watching everyone else freak out. Yeah. Once again, a game I lost. (laughs) I think I lost games all day Saturday. You won once. It was a cooperative win. (laughs) If you win in a co-op game, I mean, it's still delightful. But (laughs) Anyway, so uh, yes, I love this game. The kids here like it. Um, it's one of those nice bluffing games where no one has to close their eyes. They just yeah. not have to be able to see the card when someone else is looking at it. And it is, yeah, it's it's flawless for what it for what it's doing for what you're trying to get it to do. There's a new version of it. It's Cockroach Poker Royale or something. I do not have that. I may replace my current set with that because it adds something else. It adds crowns on some of them. Um, I don't know what it does, but I've heard it's delightful as well. And so the other cool thing is the art on this, each picture of a cockroach is a different picture. Whoever Mm -hmm. did the art did different art for each one of the cards, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, Especially for what the game is. Yeah, they a lot more work than they needed to do, but it makes the game look that much nicer. And one thing that they did that was also brilliant is on the back of each of the cards is the symbol for each one of the different kinds of things. Yeah. So you can, you know that there's, Spiders, rats, frogs, cockroaches, scorpions, stink bugs, roaches. I don't know if I reset any of them or I missed what I missed. Um, But so you don't have to think about, oh, my gosh, I'm seeing in front of me a stink bug, but I want to say it's something else because I want to pass it to this guy who has three stink bugs in front of him. Um, It's all there for you. Though you can still tell when somebody's lying if they take too long to make up their mind sometimes. Yes. Until they figure out that that's why you know they're lying. (sighs) <sighs> it's a great bluffing game. The kids love it. It is a glorious game. Uh, nice, quick, easy, real fun to play. Yeah. Cockroach poker. 
I don't even know who it's by, but I liked it a lot. I don't care. I paid for this one. We don't have to give credit. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about Role Player, which is a one that a friend of the library, Sean Torrens, brought in to play for one game day. And in Role Player, you are making up a role playing game character and doing a final boss battle and maybe doing smaller battles between the two and just generating up your character. Yep. What do you think about it, Chris? Um, it's a neat game. Uh, you get some cards at the beginning saying this is kind of your goal. Maybe you're supposed to make a wizard or a good barbarian or an evil bard or something, uh, which kind of controls the different dice that get rolled every turn. Um, someone rolls dice, they set them on a chart, one through five or six, or I guess it depends on how many players you have. Um, and everyone goes up and grabs a dice um, based on values that they are looking for. Maybe they need uh, their charisma to be in a certain range or their strength or whatever. Um, problem is the di- the person who set the dice out may know that you're uh, looking for that dice, so they're going to set it really far in the back, so you go late next turn. Or they might set a dice up front uh, that nobody really wants, but you get to go first next turn. So it's kind of a... Uh, uh, it's a shop-style game, I guess. You're pulling dice from a shop. You are buying cards from a shop to build up your character um, to be the best that your character can be. Right. And you only want to be the best that your character can be. You don't want to be the best of all because if your stats are too good for your spread for that character type, then they're not worth the points. You don't yep. get the bonus points. You also get points for items that you've got and for dudes you've, you know, for enemies you've overcome. And it is, there's lots of little elements to it. And if you've ever played Sagrada, which is a game I may or may not have mentioned on this show before, um, but it's, you're trying to get dice into the right location. And yes. Yeah. Uh, I like it. I would not actually recommend it for most libraries unless role-playing games are really popular in your library. Yeah. It's, um, it's a bit of a heavy game. Um, and it's kind of slow. Um, not in that the game itself is slow, but in that you spend a lot of time um, trying to work out the numbers, trying to figure out what you can push, what you need um, to make this exact value work, um, and what other people need so you can decide how to play against them as well. So my dream game is you play uh, the original Castles of Mad King Ludwig, mm-hmm. and you play Roll for the Galaxy. Okay. No, I'm sorry, not Roll of the Galaxy. And you play role player, and then you run those role playing characters through the castles that <laughs> got built as as your adventure. Yes. So the fun thing with role player is um, it is character creation in the game. By the time you're done, you have a character. Right, who has done the things. So it's kind of a neat little game, um, but it is it's a big one. Right. And have we talked about Call to Adventure on the show? I don't. Okay. So Call to Adventure is another game that is a lot like this, where you are sort of generating your character um, over the play. Uh, The the big difference is, is you're not statting everything out so much. You're saying, oh, I'm like good at swords or I'm good at magic or whatever. And those are going to give you the ability to throw that many rune stones that'll give you powers or abilities to fight the upcoming or to overcome the challenges that you're going to have to overcome. Yeah. And I feel like it's sort of two different takes on the same sort of game. On one hand, you have role player, which is 
like old school Dungeons and Dragons, right? Mm-hmm. You are doing the things and you're getting the dice and all the numbers really matter. It's all about the stats. And in uh, Call to Adventure, which I also like, though I think it's kind of played out for me after only 10 or so plays, <laughs> um, you are generating the origin of your character. You are also going through your mid-career and then you are defeating the big bosses. Right. It is the background story of your character. It's not stats, it's it's story. It's what did you do over your career. Mm -hmm. And so you might get some companions and there's going to be specific monsters that you've overcome but at the end you know you really have a good feeling for the, hey, I'm the guy who never did anything wrong. I got nothing but sons and I have no dark choices that I have made or oh, this is the anti-hero over here who's still a hero-ish you know, he saved the land, but at a price. Yeah. And it was, it's a neat game. So I'm going to put role player and uh, uh, call to adventure sort of in, in that same category of theme, but the mechanisms are so different. Um, is, did, did you have a preference for the two, between the two? Um, I'm going to say call to adventure, uh, mostly because with role player, I spent the majority of the game trying to work out the same math problems that it had already done over and over to try to get the perfect score. Um, right. It is a lot of numbers. And the problem I had with uh, with role player is it felt like you had to give up your action to go and try and fight one of the creatures. Yeah. It wasn't the, oh, I am going to go shopping and get this pair of magic gloves or whatever it is, and then I'm going to go fight a creature that turn. It felt like you really had to divide your attention, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I can do this boring thing over here that's going to make me better, or I can go and I can face a challenge and get shellacked. You it know? was heavy min-maxing. Yeah, so there was a lot of good stuff for a role player, but I, I sort of felt like you sort of had to choose uh, function or fun mm-hmm. as opposed to both. Yeah. And in Call to Adventure, it was all like, ooh, look at this beautiful art on this card. I'm going to go and... I'm going to defend this town against uh, brigands or I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to buy off the brigands and send yep. them away instead of defeating them, which might be the dark choice because now they're going to go harass someone else. And then call to adventure is really neat because uh, if you kind of um, play up the story and really say, this is what my character has done and this is where they came from. And you kind of play out the story, you get a really neat story out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, there we go. Two different games. Both of them, I think, are pretty good, mm-hmm. depending on what you're looking for. Um, you know, I would say that uh, role player is more for the technical gamer, and Call to Adventure is more for the story gamer. Yes. So, which we should put that on the show notes, so I don't forget. All right. Uh, one other game that we played, Getaway Driver. Yes. Again, uh, from Sean, brought it into the library during a game day. Even though Sean doesn't listen to this because he's neither a teacher nor a librarian. Thanks, Sean. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, Getaway Driver is a two-player game. Uh, One person is the police. The other person is the getaway driver. Uh, Their goal is to get away. Uh, They are trying to run from the cops. If they can get, I think it was either so far away from the cops or if they can... Now, if you run out the map. Yeah, that's what it is. If there are no more map tiles to draw, then you win. Yes, which um, I would know because that's who I was. Yes, and I was you the police. We're the police. Um, it's a neat game. The getaway driver has one car. They're trying to do all kinds of funky actions, throw down obstacles to the police. The police have a fleet. Um, 
and you kind of got to purchase what you want um, out on the board and kind of move it around your spending points that you earn as tiles are flipped um, to try and capture said getaway driver, box them in. Yeah, it is. It's sort of interesting because it is two different games. So on it my is. side, I had a set of cards. Mm-hmm. I could use them for either the top action, which was basically nullifying problems that are occurring on the board. So it's like, oh, this symbol matches that symbol, so I can avoid that symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, not a problem. The other option is, is they have a special power on the bottom, and I can use each one of these cards once. Yeah. Unless I get to one of my safe hold areas, which is where randomly scattered dudes happened around the table. And when I get to those safe hold areas, I get to refresh one of the cards. I can reuse, you know, mm-hmm. it says, oh, actually, I don't refresh it. I get a token, which says, hey, I can reuse one of those cards. Once it's been reused, I can't use it again. Yeah. So my resources are exceptionally limited and it's very tight. But that's okay because there's only a limited number of tiles that are in the board. Mm-hmm. Your choices were, because my card was on the board, was you drew two tiles and you had to decide where you placed them, or up to three tiles, depending yeah. on where I ended up. Um, you had to decide where to place them that I could go because I can go forward, left, or right. And if there's mm-hmm. not a tile there, a tile gets drawn and you decide. So how did you decide which tile to put where? So uh, the first thing is when I placed the tiles, I placed them face down so that Donald know. didn't know what he was running into. Because he's a dirty cheater. Oh, wait, no. That's supposed to be that way. (laughs) Um, On the cards, there might be um, obstacles or a choice of obstacles. Donald could choose whether or not it had an obstacle. The police can't do anything about obstacles. They're not amazing, uh, you know, A-lister drivers. (laughs) That's Um, true. However, some of the cards have points on them. And they are, when they are flipped, I get those points and I can buy myself more fancy stuff. For the police, I can buy new cruisers. If I really save up, I can buy a helicopter. Um, I could buy motorcycles, um, just different things like that. Or I could replace the cars that crashed because I couldn't get them out of harm's way. <laughs> um, so I would lay them down trying to think, oh, he's probably going to go this way and get the card I need. But if he goes that way, it's a clear path for me. Keep it classy. Um, so there was a lot of little... Um, trying to think what's the best layout for me to where it helps me force him into the cards I want. Right. So he'd put the best cards for me underneath his police dudes. If there was, yes. you know, it's like, oh, my guy's going here. Like, well, okay. So I know I'm going to have to shoot through Chris if I want to get the easier way out. And I lose if uh, sort of Grand Theft Auto style, I have so much heat on me, mm-hmm. I've lost. And that's the way I lose. Yeah. Uh, and I get heat whenever I'm on a, a space with police things. And there are also hazards that will give me give me yep. heat and whatnot. So it's neat. It's asymmetric as far as we both have different rules that we're playing by. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays pretty darn quickly. And uh, the first turn, time you're playing it, you really have no idea what you're doing. Not at all. So uh, it was so close. We were down to like the last two or three tiles. Oh, yeah. It, um, it was very much, it came down to the last decision or two, whether or not Donald or I won. And so the first half of the game, I was avoiding the police the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I sort of trained Chris to, you know, never put the bad stuff underneath him. And so the way I almost pulled off the victory was being able to shoot through his police. Yeah. Um, because we all have the same turning requirements. It's like, oh, you can't just go backwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... If I, if I shot through him, 
because I took two movement actions, then I didn't get the heat because I was on a tile as him and he couldn't get to me so quickly. Yeah. And so I nearly managed to pull it off, but my first early gameplay was so sloppy and Chris's was so sort of on point that there was n- really no way for me to recover. Uh, not by the end, but if you had two people who really know what they're doing, I think it's a very cat and mouse. Uh, yeah, it's a decently balanced game, um, provided you can call each other's bluffs a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you get stuck doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to eventually start losing. So yeah. if you can't adapt a little bit, you're out of luck. So that is getaway driver. Lots think- of fun. Yeah, I'm going to give that a green light, which means no hazards for me. Um, <laughs> green light um, <laughs> for, two for two players. That is the one downside is it's a two-player game, so keep that in mind. But it's not that expensive, though. You could get multiple copies if it was that Oh, popular. absolutely. So. All right. Uh, we're going to talk real quick about One Week Ultimate Werewolf, which we may have mentioned before. Well, I don't think so. One Week Ultimate Werewolf is part of the Bezier Games a series of werewolf games that we purchased from our friends over at Myrtle Beach Games. And yes. In the game, it's it's one of the werewolf series, except for instead of playing with just cards and tokens, you have tiles, which represent the different rooms, so it's going to be modular and change every time. On Everybody is going to play on their turn a card, and on that card, it's going to say how many spaces they get to move, and it's played face up. Once everybody has done their moving, it's nighttime, which means everybody's going to close their eyes because, hey, it's it's one of the werewolf games. And unless you've got your eyes closed a little bit, um, you don't know what's going on. All right? I mean, you don't, you're not actually playing werewolf. And then I am going to pick one of the cards from my hand. I'm going to play it, and I'm going to do that action. And I have to announce an action that I am doing, but mm-hmm. I can lie about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's a, I'm saying maybe I'm going to even say I did the action that I just used to move and I only have one of those cards. So if I was going to say, wait a minute, he moved three and he's taking, saying he's taking the move three action. So obviously he's lying to us, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, um, or it could be, I'm saying one of the cards that I have multiples of and you don't know, or it's one that I obviously haven't played. Yeah. Some of the rooms will let you pull your cards back up into your hand. Sometimes when you run out of cards, you get to pull your cards back up into your hand. Yep. Uh, there some let you play multiple cards or do multiple actions. And like in Werewolf, you're going to be looking under things and you're going to be um, swapping, you know, swapping tokens. tokens. And there's NPCs wandering around. And there are some rooms that have tokens on them because maybe there's a hidden tanner in the room or something. Right. Um, so it very much keeps to the theme of one night ultimate werewolf where uh, everyone has different roles that are doing different things um, though. It kind of steals the actions and puts them into cards. So you don't have special actions based on your character, maybe just special winning requirements, right? There's only three character types and it's a villager, a werewolf and a tanner. Yes. And everything else is done through the cards and through the rooms, which I thought was pretty neat. One of the things I really liked about it was the start player. If you stay in the big grand foyer, you get to, or if you get back there, you get to decide who the start player is the next round and which direction it goes. And by next round, he means on the very next night phase that's about to happen. So when you get to that spot and it's time to activate it, then it might be like, oh, I think Chris needs to go first because I want to see what he's doing. And I'm sitting to Chris's left. So I'm going to say Chris is going first. And then it goes to the right and it gets back around to me last. Mm -hmm. So that's 
pretty cool. And it's a great big chunky arrow. The pieces on this. Oh, my gosh. We haven't even talked about the quality <laughs> yes. of the pieces. So to keep people from accidentally flipping over the tokens, they have little castle-like pieces that you put them in the top of that. And it's still very easy for you to get that piece out to look at if you are intending to do so. Yes. But you are not going to accidentally do it unless you're being exceptionally careless. And you are not going to accidentally move the castle pieces. Right. They are like they're either um, resin or I don't know, but they're they're chunky. They're heavy. It's like if you had to defeat zombies with pieces, this would not be a bad game to defeat them with. <laughs> yes. Uh, they And the arrow, the turn arrow, it's like three or four inches long. That you, I mean, know, you set on the table, big wooden arrow. Yeah, it's got to be at least three inches thick as well. It's just this ridiculously yeah. oversized arrow. Yeah. So, uh, well done on the components. Yes. I the the big problem I've had with the one night, or, I'm sorry, one week ultimate werewolf, is that you can really, in most cases, only interact with people if they're on your space, mm-hmm. and unless you're in the grand foyer and someone's next to it, right? Or not the grand foyer, the great ballroom. Uh, there's rooms. It's mess with other people, right? But most of the time, it feels like you get too isolated. There's there's not enough clustering. It's like there are too many rooms based on the number of people. Yeah. But um, other than that, I really like the game. I think it's pretty neat. But we had some kids who just couldn't figure it out. It's like I explained it to them. I walked out of the room uh, to go get a drink. I come back, and they're putting it away. It's like, what happened? I'm like, oh, we couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's uh, not that tough. I don't understand. No, I think that's just some of the kids here. Um, to clarify with the room thing, um, that was our experience with the recommended number of rooms from the rule book. Yeah. Um, you can absolutely change the board how you want. If you want to play with a few less rooms, go for it. Um, it's not actually a set in stone rule how many rooms you need. Uh, that is the game's recommendation. So I think one other way to do it is you include the dynamite room. That blows up the other rooms. Which lets you blow up other rooms. So just to, you know, start with the recommended number and have one of them be the dynamite room. Because <laughs> then the first person to go in gets a dynamite token, which when they go to another room, they can put it there. And then the first person to go to that room, well, I mean, any person to go to that room when there's not another person there can light the dynamite on fire or light up the fuse. And then when then it blows up. Yes. So hooray. Lots of fancy rooms to play with. So uh, Bezier games, I think, are uniquely suited in most cases for libraries. Their one-week Ultimate Werewolf is one that if you're looking for a little deeper experience, I think it goes along. But One-Night Ultimate Werewolf, Werewolf, One-Night Ultimate Aliens or Ultimate Vampires. Wereword. Werewords. Werewords is my favorite still of all of them. Yeah. And in fact, the Punchboard Media is going to be putting up a thing, and that's one of the games that they're talking about that Mm. I wrote up a deal on. So... Um, this is another, if you're looking for a slightly more game version of any of the Wear games, then a one-week Ultimate Werewolf is certainly one to play. Absolutely. Oh, well, um, I think we're going to have to leave off our discussion on legacy games for another episode because we've been talking for 45 minutes-ish. All right. Uh, so uh, let us know if you've played these games, what you think about them, if there are any games you would like us to review for schools or libraries. Also, let us know about that. Because, by golly, uh, there's a lot of games out there, and if there's one we've played and you want to hear about it, we want to tell you about it. Thank you for listening this far into the episode. I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Chris Bell. And you've been listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. 
You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius Podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast. Hooray! So if you're looking for light, fun, fast games, and even snacks to have while playing games, because they do a segment called What the Food! <laughs> and also, we have a couple of streamers with us now, which is Nephilim, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend Lynn Theory. Not all of that may be work safe because occasionally an explicative when startled by monsters on the internet. (laughs) So, I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Chris Bell. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.